What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Hey pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. Consequence Podcast Network. Leo Phillips here again with This Must Be The Gig, your little backstage pass to the world of live music. Every week we bring you fascinating conversations from the beating heart of the performance scene with some of the most exciting names on this gigantic big spongy globe. We talk passion with them, we talk first concerts, last concerts and everything in the Juicy Center. This week, we are delighted to share a conversation with the one, the only, little Stephen, the Stephen Van Zandt. February 8th, the day before, nobody was in a band. <laughs> February 10th, everybody was in a band. In this chat, he and I discussed the new box set collecting his first solo records, his earliest memories of Bruce Springsteen, and his process as an actor. Plus, we go deep on his experience flying from the set of Martin Scorsese's The Irishman one day to having Paul McCartney play on stage with his band the next, his charitable education work, and even the potential of an E Street Band tour in the near future. So... E Street Band fans, just keep listening. And be sure to stick around for our live show of the week presented by StubHub. And in the meantime, let us not be delayed. This is me and little Steven. Enjoy! Congratulations on the release of the box set. I see it's six solo albums and 50 or so unreleased tracks. Is that right? Yeah, that's about right. How does it 
feel when you quantify things into like a big mashup of your entire kind of career? How does it feel? Well, I'm good to finally uh, get you know get the early work out. You know, it, it's been quite a while. I, I never did you know remaster anything or or any of that. You know, so. Uh, people people have been asking for it for decades, <laughs> literally, and uh, I just felt like, God, I I just got to get this done. Um, getting back into it this past uh, two years, this past two or three years, has really um, energized, you know, my whole involvement with my with my old work as well as my new stuff. You know, I, mean, I just had the most productive three years of my life. I mean. Uh, this will be the fifth album package released in two and a half years. You know. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's the new Soulfire album, the Soulfire Live box set, then the uh, the Lilyhammer score, uh, which was a double album set, and then uh, the new Summer Sorcery album, and uh, now the catalog package. I mean, and there then and there will eventually be a Summer Sorcery live box set as well coming next year. But um, yeah, so it's been a a wonderfully productive uh, couple of years, and and so uh, we took that energy and finally uh, remastered the old stuff. And uh, you know, I had some collectors and you know friends uh, find some of the some of the older things that you know half half finished songs or uh, obscure things, and uh, you know, so it's been it's been it's been nice. It's been nice to get it finally out so uh, everything's available now i like what you said earlier about having a different perspective on them as well because i think so often people forget that if you're working on something currently your brain is like in that moment as opposed to you know if you are re-releasing or tracking down songs from back then it's almost like this little nostalgia portal almost you know and you you listen to this thing and you think back at who you were what you were doing so how was that for you to reflect in that way are you sentimental in that way no i'm really not very sentimental <laughs> um, but uh I, I it was important to me actually uh to just um piece together my life you know uh it, it's um my life's always been a bit confusing for me you know i you know it's not it's not it's not a very logical or linear life right right <laughs> so, you know so so i i'm always uh i'm always looking for uh a way to sort of see it in in a in a more uh logical linear fashion you know uh you know this you know and when and when you look back on on the early work you know, you can see that, um, you know, that one led to that one, which led to that one. Right. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I, I can see the reasoning in my mind, you know, at the time. And uh, it was always uh, a little bit frustrating for me in a funny way, because I, I, I've always, the early, all the early work was, was, was progressive, but it was progressive in what I would call a horizontal manner. In other words, Every single album was different musically, uh, you know, which is very, very unlike anybody else's career, and 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 and, and you know, and and for good reason, you know, because that's no that's no way to have a career, actually, you know. So, <laughs> what so do you, you, mean? you know, 
Well, it, it just it just isn't because my right. my priorities were sort of crazy. You know, looking back on it, they were all they were very purely artistic. It was very, um, you know, all art and no commerce. Right. <laughs> you know, sort of thinking. Right. You know, you know, because I was concerned with the lyrics and 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 where, what I was exploring and learning uh, in terms of the subject matter. And the themes of each record, you know, every record was a concept record. Everyone was thematic, very, very specifically thematic. And um, and so the music became the soundtrack to that particular idea on that particular record, you know. Um, so lyrically, it was actually quite amazingly linear and, and, and logical and very, very, you know, autobiographical and... Uh, you know, as I learned what was going on in the world and learning about myself, I was able to talk about that uh, very openly and honestly in the songs. But uh, but musically, it was all very, very different from album to album. So I never got a chance to see how it would evolve if I ever stayed in one genre, you know, until, until this past three years. And so, you know, that's why for Soulfire, I returned to the basic genre of rock meets soul that I did on my first album. You know, I, I returned to my first album's basic, you know, ba- basic sound and, and, and band structure of five horns and, and you know, and I even added, you know, uh, harmonies now with the girls. And so um, Soul, soul Fire was a return to that and Summer of Sorcery was the first time I've ever progressed or, or evolved uh, vertically, mm. you know, that was a uh, summer sorcery was exactly the same band. First time ever I used exactly the same band, two albums in a row, you know, you know, exactly the same sound, exactly the same structure, right. you know, and, and just to see, okay, you know, where would it grow as, as a normal, as a normal group would do, you know, just as, you know, the Rolling Stones would do, or the Ramones would do, or whoever you want to name, you know, it's always the same band. You know, it's always the same sound. And then each album, you know, progresses in a in a, in a a sort of uh, very, you know, comfortably familiar way, you know, and I, I never have done that, you know, never. You wouldn't go back and change that, essentially. You would just, you just are asking for more time, right? <laughs> you are... Mm. Because you, uh, that's a good, you... that's a, that's a good, that's a good question, actually. Because I mean, um, you know, that's a very good question, actually. I, I, I don't, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. You know, because I, I do like the work. I must say, you know, all five of the original albums. Uh, I think I, I, I really do like them all, and they're all very different. Um, I guess I just was continuing to explore what my identity was, you know, sometimes, you know, people arrive in the music business with their identity fully formed. And, uh, and I think sometimes, you know, you don't really, and, and you're sort of, um, still, um, searching and, 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 uh, and trying out things and, and experimenting a bit, uh, artistically in public, you know, and I think that was the case with me. I just was continuing to, search for you know, the identity I was most comfortable with 
but, but the truth is, I'm probably about you know ten or fifteen different people. You know, yeah, that's my you know that's one of my but one how, of my problems. How, <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's a problem. I think that that like fire and passion to explore and also reflect on yourself in the moment is so is something that everyone aspires to when they're creatives, right? You go through something and then you're able to reflect immediately. So many people are, are incapable of doing that. And I well, think that that's well, yeah, a, yeah. you know, so looking at it from that perspective, but how much of your identity is wrapped up then in your music? Because looking back now at all the concept albums, all the things that you were learning, uh, looking now at where you are, how much of that is tied to the music that you make? Well, it was it was very much, um, you know, it was pretty much exclusively who I was for many years until... Uh, Really, until I started acting, you know, um, that became a whole different craft. Um, and and then you know you start to uh, you start to split into you know these different personalities, you know, um, you know because I didn't have a manager. One of my personalities was forced to be a business person, you know. Right. Um, yes. One what you know one was. You know, one was a musician, one was a producer, you know, one was a writer. You know, a writer is a very different job than a producer. Um, and then I started writing TV and I started uh, producing TV. I started doing score. Now, score is different than writing songs, you know. Uh, so you started to accumulate all these different personalities and, and, and crafts and sort of um, a fragmented uh parts of your of one's uh, personality to the point where you know you you realize that uh music is just one part of what you do you know uh and that was a you know that that started to happen right after the you know somewhere in in the 90s i guess you know even in the late 80s and so that was you know you know you, you know what i mean so you start to um you start to realize geez, I there's a lot of people inside me i could i could make a living just as a director, you know, yes. I can make a living just as a, as a as a live event producer, or as a radio producer, or a TV producer, you know, a uh, music producer. You know, I mean, you can you can you can you can you can conceivably make a living just writing TV, just writing films, yes. just writing songs. You know, you know, you 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 have a lot of these crafts that uh, continue to grow and continue to evolve and, and become, you know, you, you, you get better at them. And so, so, um, you know what I mean? You don't, you don't, right. it, it doesn't narrow as you get older. It, it tends to start to expand. Uh, you know, yeah. yeah. It expands, you know what I mean? You're, so what you're capable of and that, and that all is you, it's, it's all you, you know what I mean? You're not, it's not, you're not narrowly this or narrowly that you're, you're whoever you are at that moment. You know, you realize it all comes down to this moment. Who am I most appropriately <laughs> at this moment yes. for this job? <laughs> you know what I mean? But you it's an, be, it's an amazing clean. compulsion to have just to, uh, because at the core of it, right, it's your need to create. Whether that is creating a relationship through, yeah. you know, a business transaction or creating a script and or a character within you when you're performing or even on stage yes. with Bruce and gosh, I mean, Paul McCartney, you know, who made, all the amazing people that you've you've been on stage with. 
you that is a compulsion to create so it still stems from the true. same that's place true. right true that that's that's true and 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 i think what you said before is also true which is one one gives energy to the other you know right i mean right. i have a sort of you know i i i have a form of Attention deficit disorder that yes. you know uh, yes. that I've had long before it was fashionable. Yes, uh, <laughs> and, you know, and, and that doesn't mean you know that, that doesn't mean you don't finish what you start. You know, of course. Although, well, well, Lord, Lord, Lord knows there have been a few projects I should, I wish I'd finished that that I'd started, but but mostly yes. not. You know, mostly I try to stay focused on something until it's done. But but one does give energy to the other. You know, I when I first took the um, Lilyhammer gig in Norway. I said to them, listen, I have, you know, I have a radio show I do every week. I have a record company. I have a publishing company. I have a foundation. I have all these things. I can't come to Norway full time. I said, I can come uh, every other week. <laughs> you know, assuming that they would say no, you know, yes. <laughs> and that would have been the end of it. You know what I mean? But then... I said, you know, I'll, I'll come and star in your, t- in your local TV show called Lily Hammer, but I'll come, I'll fly every Saturday. I'll come, I'll come to Norway on Saturday, work that week, and then I go home Saturday for a week, you know, to work on, on, the, on my other five companies, whatever it was, you know. And, of course, they, they said yes, you know, surprisingly. Uh, and, and that was a very <laughs> – but that turned out to be a wonderful way to work because what would happen, you know, you work very hard uh, in Norway all week, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm co-producing that show. I'm, I'm, I'm co-writing that show. I'm starring in that show. And I even directed the final episode of that show. So, you know, you're working very hard. And then you get on a plane and you come back to this whole different world in New York City and I'm dealing with all that stuff. And then you go back and it's, and it's new again, you know. Uh, and every time I got, I got to, the, to, the, to the other city, you know, it was new again. And so one thing tends to energize the other. I mean, that was a dramatic example of it, but, but this happens every single day. Right. Uh, every, sing, every single hour, you, you know. One, one, one craft tends to energize the other, you know, or one personality tends to energize the other, or, you know. And, and that's, that's really been you the way that... You're uh, uh, yeah. polymath. You know, you've got that, you've got all of the, <laughs> all of the skills and, but it's curiosity as well. So whether, you know, it's that impulse to create, but it's also because you just seem curious. It just, it's, you seem I guess, I guess like so. you are yeah. looking yeah. for the things that you potentially could be very good at and trying them out. There's like a, there's a yeah. bravery and courage in that too. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's, or maybe it's just, you know, being too stupid to know better. I think, I think, but I think you're right. I think there is a certain, you know, giving you, you a you compliment. See something you, Take the compliment. <laughs> take it. Bath in it. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't take them well. <laughs> but talk to me, talk to me a little bit about that eureka moment then when you were younger, when you were young and starting to play music and starting to create and seeing shows. Do you remember that first concert that you ever went to, the one that really went, that, that had that impact on you where you saw yourself potentially on that stage yes 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 uh, i had a a few different epiphanies um w- you know one of which you know i always i always count the the, the biggest ones really were 
were the, the Beatles and Stones uh, for me. You know, the, the first time I saw the Beatles on the variety show called Ed Sullivan, which uh, uh, the whole family used to watch uh, on Sunday nights. Um, oh, yes. uh, you know that 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 you know the Beatles. The Beatles introduced an entirely new world to us, and one that I was extremely interested in because it was the first time I'd ever seen a band. You know, uh, there were right. there was no such thing as bands before them. So, so you know, suddenly I thought, wow, that's really fascinating. You know, that four you know four guys can you know sort of work together, and, and um, that was very appealing to me. But they were so good when we first discovered them. They were halfway through their career, actually. Uh, they'd gotten together in like 1958 yes, and were gone, the 60s, and gone. Right? The Ed yeah, this, this was, this was, yes, yeah, February 9th, 1964. Oh, gosh. Hey, you know yeah. the exact date. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was the, <laughs> so they, 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 they introduced a new world. But, you know, they were so good. You know, the harmony was so perfect and their hair was different and their clothes were different. And it was just sort of like, you know, here, here's a new world, but but uh, how on earth you uh, become a part of it seems yes. impossible. Yes. But four months later, the Rolling Stones come. And they were um, quite the opposite. They, they, were, you know, they were the band, uh, again, you know, it was five guys instead of four. But uh, they were still communicating what a band communicates, which is very different than what an individual communicates. You know, it's not about me, me, me. It's about us. It's about the, the, the friendship. It's about the family. It's about community. That's what bands, you know, communicated to me. So they had that same appeal, but they wore different clothes. They um, didn't have the perfect harmony. They made it look easier than it was, you know, and and uh, so they were a little bit more inviting, and uh, and a very important thing happened um, with Mick Jagger, the lead singer. Uh, he was the first guy in show business because I wasn't I wasn't that interested in show business, uh, but he was the first guy in show business I'd ever seen that didn't smile. Right. And, okay. Uh, you know. And and that was uh, it, it. Sounds like nothing now. No, but it no. was it, it was quite profound. It was quite profound. Because so suddenly I thought, this isn't show business. This is a lifestyle. This guy ah, is, is, you know, okay. you know, he he doesn't care whether you like him or not. You know what I mean? He's not. Yes. He's not. You know, he's he's going to do what he's going to do, and this band's going to do what they're going to do, whether you like him or not. Right. You know? And that they're appealed not, they're to They're not asking you to. They're not asking you to like them, you know, and I thought that's exactly what I want to do, you know. So that was that was extremely exciting, and uh, uh, and then and then uh, funnily enough, the very next night, my friend invited me to uh, his beach club. Um, we for some reason we were one of a few suburban families that did not belong to a beach club, but my <laughs> my friend my my friend did. And there was a group called the Mods playing live, mm-hmm. and they were playing, uh, you know, Rolling Stone songs already. Wow! And so the connection was made, you know. Oh, you don't have to be from England necessarily to be right. a rock star or to right. be to be in rock and roll. You know, here's some local guys doing it. So the connection was made irrevocably. You know, okay, Absolutely. you know, these are the Rolling Stones. Over there in New Jersey, you know, he, 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 a local, a local Rolling Stones, you know, 
or local Beatles. So even will. closer to and who you were. So an even closer connection to who yep, you were at the yep. time, right? And that that's right. And that was it. That was it. Done. You know. You were done. That was some. You were sold. Yeah. Pause the podcast. It's time to step away just momentarily from our conversation with little Stephen to share a little something engineer Adam and I like to call the live show show of of the week. week. We are so excited to be back here once again, another week with another amazing concert to share with you, our lovely listeners. Each week, we highlight one of the most heart-thumping events we could find out there, and we share it with you so you can head out to the show. Because we can't do all of the shows. We can't go to every show. So this week, we are putting the spotlight on what will surely be a mind-blowing set from Moon Hooch at the Bowery Ballroom in New York City on Thursday, January 23rd. If you're unfortunate enough to not yet know Moon Hooch, I'm sorry. But welcome. You need to check out their Tiny Desk concert because it's truly one of a kind. We're talking about dual saxophones and a drummer laying down these intense grooves with wild punk energy. They got it all. They're a one of a kind act, Mm -hmm. that's for sure. And if you want to get in on the excitement of that show or any other event out there in the world, you can head over to StubHub via cosradio.lv slash StubHub and find the best selection of tickets to the hottest shows. One more time, that's cosradio.lv slash StubHub. And while we're talking about important things that you can do on the internet, <laughs> let's talk about that's how you cesspool. absolutely need to go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, mm-hmm. wherever you're listening to this podcast this second. Subscribe, rate, and review, and make it five stars while you're at it. That is the only way people find us if you let them know through letting us know. Rate, review, subscribe. Rate, review, subscribe, slip, slap, slap. But let us return to this week's interview. Back to me and the wonderful little Stephen. Enjoy! But I love that yep. the first thing that you said as well... Um, is that you were attracted to the community of it all, where it wasn't only me, 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 it was us. Because obviously a lot of what people know you for is not only your solo, your work, and we can get into that, of course, and also working with Bruce, but it's that sense of you, you created that sense of us. It was it was a group of people working together towards this certain thing, as opposed to just uh, me. I'm alone. I'm on stage. Uh, you know, you've never felt. You've always felt like that, or at least to me, yes. in all the years. That's right. No, that's exactly right. Yeah, Because yeah. you were already in bands when you met Bruce, so you had already yes. been performing. So you you were already comfy. Or at least, I don't want to assume, but at least comfy-ish on stage doing what you were loving. So when you met Bruce, how was that moment? Why was it different that you had already been performing versus if you had maybe gone into his band? The, the Beatles effect uh, on you know on February 9th, 1964 was quite profound, not just for me, but for the entire my entire generation. I mean, literally, literally. February 8th, the day before, nobody was in a band. <laughs> February 10th, everybody was in a band, okay? I mean, literally, okay? So so you had everybody in a band, but most of them ended up staying in their garage, yes. rehearsing, and, you know, yes. you know, but about a dozen, about a dozen, about a dozen local bands were formed, 
and would go out and play. We had a wonderful choice of places to play as kids. You know, our generation was very, very lucky that way. There were just dozens of places to play before you even got to the bar age. You know, it was all very local and very young. And um, I had my band and he had his. And, uh, you know, in those days, if you were in bands, you know, you were already friends uh, because there was so few of us. And oh, that's so, um, right. yeah, we became friends that way. And so, um, and then we would, you know, we started to, you know, progress through the, through the evolution of finding our identities. And so we would end up having a different band every six months or so after a while. And sometimes, sometimes he'd be in my band, sometimes I'd be in his band. And then at a certain point, I just decided, um, he really had something uh, special. He had a special gift, uh, and I decided, you know, I could I could be very complimentary to that gift, and so I, I decided to join his band, uh, and and you know, and, and permanently, and um, you know, because I we had different talents in those days. You know, I was very very good at arranging and. Uh, I would end up becoming quite good at producing as well, um, you know, and I just could hear things. I heard certain things differently. We had different sort of ears, you know, he, he, he was extremely creative and he heard things a certain way and, and, I, and, I, and I heard things a slightly different way, but, 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 but in a complimentary way. So I thought we would make a good team together and, uh, and we did. And I love that obviously working in a team, knowing what your place is, I think is so important, especially in the making of, of a band as legendary as yours and, and Bruce's is that you, you have a place as opposed to, you know, you are in, you are just part of the mix. You have a role yes. that you do every day, which I think is necessary sometimes for an artist. I think you're absolutely right about that. And um, it's difficult um, you know, it becomes very tricky when it's a democracy, um, you know, to, 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 to make sure that those roles are quite, uh, quite well defined, you know, which, which doesn't always happen. Um, but in this case, it was easier that he was, you know, it was a benevolent monarchy, you know, and, and so he was obviously the boss and, and, uh, and everybody's job was to, you know, contribute to his vision, you know, which made it easier uh, in a way to, to keep it together yes. uh, rather than, you know, everybody having an equal say in everything and then having difficulty coming to any conclusions, you know, which, uh, you know. Can so, so, yeah, so we, we, we were lucky. It worked. It, it, it just, you know, it, it functioned. It functioned quite quite well yeah and then obviously go you know i'm sure you'll be going out on tour with him soon and just it's, looking it's possible looking to the future it's possible why wouldn't you yes it's possible when we're talking you know we have, okay, he good. hasn't he hasn't decided yet but but it's possible but yes. it's possible yeah. okay that sounds yeah. hopeful but looking <laughs> to the future now we kind of looking in the past is there a performance that you had on stage with him, with, uh, you know, the other musicians that you've played with that really stood out for you, a performance where you felt like 
akin to how you were feeling when you're watching the Beatles or little Anthony or whomever, you know, mm. did you have that moment for yourself where you were on stage and just, it was just the best show you've ever played? No, not really. I, I mean, you know, they're, they're all quite consistent, to be honest, uh, and, and consistently good. Um, you know, uh, we, um, and you sort of grow into that stuff naturally and organically. You know, you start off in those days, you started off in clubs and then, and then the next time you went back to town, it was multiple clubs and then the theater then multiple theaters, then the arena, then multiple arenas, and then a stadium. You know, that was how it went in those days. So you gradually evolved to those bigger audiences as you went. And, um, you know, I, I honestly, uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess the, maybe the first time you played Madison Square Garden, you know, it was exciting because it was very symbolic of, of your success. And locally, you know what I mean. That was that was the epitome of success locally. Nobody even dreamed of playing the stadium yet, you know, um, which we would eventually do. But but um, you know, Madison Square Garden was sort of a symbol of success, you know, your local arena. So that was you know exciting. But 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 I had played Madison Square Garden uh, before I was with Bruce because. Uh, the, the, when the Beatles and Stones and what we call the uh, British invasion came yes. in 64, 65, the uh, unintended consequence was they put all their heroes out of work. <laughs> all, of, all of the 50s guys and early yes. 60s artists yes. were all literally put out of work. And, and, and they were ended up on this oldie circuit, which was, uh, you know, this sort of designation of the roots, you know, the the influences and the, the roots of rock and roll, all the pioneers mm -hmm. who were, were suddenly called oldies and put out to pasture, even though they were in their 30s and early 40s. I mean, they were in the prime of their lives. Yes. You know, they suddenly had their careers just ended by this group thing, by the band thing, you know. And so they, I ended up on that circuit playing with a group called the Dovells and, uh, and uh, an artist called Dion. Dion Demucci, and as part of that, as part of that uh, sort of uh, tour, um, they would occasionally do these multi-artist events at arenas, uh, literally like twelve or fifteen artists. Wow! Uh, and, and that was the first time I played Madison Square Garden. Was was one of those, one of those shows, you know, that featured uh, Little Richard and Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley oh and all, all the great, yeah, all, all the great pioneers were on that circuit, you know. So yeah, we we would occasionally play play an actual arena, which was which is the first time I played the garden. So, but you know, but playing it with with the street band was was still uh, significant, you know, because it was you know it, it you know it was it was like I say it was a a marker of of your success. Yeah. And I also wanted to briefly ask you about the night when Paul, obviously Paul McCartney joined the Disciples of Soul on stage. So obviously, you know, that was a huge moment, I think, for for fans yes. and for fans of both, you know, him joining yeah, the band. Was, yeah. What was that like for you? No, that was, that was one, of the, one of the high points of my life. I'm, I'm telling you right now, you know, wow. it, was, it was absolutely one of the high points of my life. I mean, He'd come on stage with the East Street Band um, in Hyde Park, which was got, got became a legendary event because we went like three minutes 
passed the um, curfew. Yes. And and they and and the authorities pulled the plug on the show <laughs> with oh Paul McCartney and Bruce Springsteen <laughs> on stage for the first time. <laughs> so that was you know a sort of that was that was the first time. And then and then Paul invited me and Bruce to perform with him at Madison Square Garden. Um, uh, but, you know, that's one thing. You know, Paul coming on with the East Street Band, obviously, was wonderful. And him inviting uh, us to play with him was wonderful. But him coming on my stage with the Disciples of Soul Gosh, was yeah. really, really, really a whole different level of meaningful. I mean, that's Paul endorsing my personal work. Right. You know, my own, my own you know. And that was uh, just uh, amazing that night. Uh, you know, it was funny because, uh, in a way, it, it almost didn't happen. It was the first show of the of the European tour, and the previous two days, I'm filming, you know, the Irishman with 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 Marty Scorsese. Yes. You know, doing my doing my little cameo of Jerry Vale, uh, and um, and I only had those two days to film because I literally had to get on a plane and go straight to the show in London, Wow! which turned out to be the one where Paul came. And the very first day of filming, um, the smoke in the room, because it was a very, you know, I don't know if you remember, I don't know if you've seen the, the Irishman movie or not, but uh, yes, uh, it's I a have. very, it's a, yes. so, so, you know, there's a big, um, there's that big, that big event when, when um, uh, Frank Sheeran is being honored and it was, you know, just hundreds of extras, and and there was a lot of smoke in the room, which the lighting people always like to have. And, and the smoke got to, got to Marty because he has a, you know, he has a he has a very serious, like sort of, uh, asthma type of, you know, sensitivity. Right, right. So he so he had a really that first day, and we didn't get we didn't get the filming done. So um, luckily, we got it that second day because I said. I, I have to go. I have to go to London, you know. And uh, so we luckily got got it done just in time. I got off the plane and went to the went to the gig, and I heard that Paul may be coming to the show. And so I said, you know, well, we better prepare something just in case, you know, he does want to come on stage. I mean, you know, you never know. So I did a I did a little Richard arrangement of uh, I saw her standing there. Because I, I knew Paul was a Little Richard fan, and uh, I thought that'd be fun. You know, I have the horns. Let's you know, let's use them. And um, and then when I and then he did show up, and, and I said to him, I said, "Listen, man, I know you're you're working all the time these days. You know, you really don't socialize very much. So I really appreciate you coming. Don't feel obligated to come on stage. You know, just relax with your wonderful wife. You know, Nancy, and uh, you know, sit with my wife Maureen." And just have a good time, you know. Don't don't even think about it. And um, you know, and uh, so I didn't expect them to come on. And then uh, we just taking the bow for the encore, and my guitar roadie comes up to me and says, "Paul's coming on." <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, he came on, and with no rehearsal whatsoever, you know, we just broke into this little Richard version of <laughs> "I Saw Her Standing There," and. Uh, and yeah, he was he was quite talk about courage. I mean, you know, that was quite a quite an endorsement of uh, you know trusting me. You know, I mean, uh, it was wonderful that he, he trust he trusted me that much. That he just walked on stage and know that it was going to be right. You know.
So absolutely, a very, very big high point, big yeah. high point in my life. Honestly. I can imagine. Yeah. But I mean, going from a Scorsese film to perform on stage in London and have Paul McCartney join you. I mean, those are two already <laughs> monumental <laughs> moments. But and I know yeah, you're... It was a hell... <laughs> it's like it was you a, said a it so a casually. <laughs> you're like, eh. Well, just as you know, <laughs> acting in this small film, and then <laughs> well, it was a heck of a forty-eight hours. God, <laughs> I can only imagine. And you're certainly not new to acting, you know. Obviously, I've I've loved you in uh, in a few shows, um, including The Sopranos, which I know Jerry Vale actually appeared also in the, in the Sopranos. But what was it like then to perform in the guise of another person and then quickly go to get into the character that you have on stage, well, which is you, but how did you, right. how do you switch off from the one, because I know you obviously take your work so seriously. Well, it, it helps to be completely schizophrenic. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that's, you know, as I was saying before, I, I have, I you know, you. 10 or 12 <laughs> different personalities, personalities. Okay. All, you know, that I can, I can draw on at any particular time. <laughs> so, you know, you, you get used to just, uh, you know, immediately, immediately adapting into the personality that's appropriate for that moment. You know, that's just, that's just, that's, that's life. That's the craft. I mean, I actually got quite good at it, you know, during Lilyhammer because, you know, on TV, there's always a responsible writer on the set in case things come up that need to be changed. And most of the time I was the only one there who right, was right. one of the one of the writers, you know. So um, you know, I'm also one of the producers, so I'm looking at everything constantly. You know, I'm looking at the looking at the lighting, I'm looking at the I'm looking at where the cameras are, you know. Uh, and I'm, I'm and I'm writing, sometimes rewriting the script right up until we say action. You know what I mean? So you kind of completely distracted by these other jobs you're doing. And then they say action and now you are Frankie the Fixer Tagliano in that scene, and you have to be that guy, you know, um, you have to now turn into a gangster in, <laughs> in Norway, you know. And um, I found that all of these other jobs distracting me until they said action was quite uh, liberating in a way and quite, um, quite helpful. I, I, I think I became a much better actor during Lilyhammer uh, because I was unable to think about acting. Right. You know? I right. didn't I didn't have the time. I didn't had no time to think about acting. So they said action and boom, I'm him, I'm in that situation. I don't have even time to think about it. You know what I mean? Uh and it was really um I noticed that it was really quite uh quite helpful uh to to not sit around waiting, you know, for your lines, you know, going over and over the lines and you know, thinking about how should I say them? Or, you know, what's the situation? Am I am I am I capturing this exactly correctly? You know, am I am I doing the right thing? And there's none of that. You know, none none of those none of those thoughts. I, did, I just didn't have time for it. You know, so, so you relinquished so a little how, bit of the control, yeah, and just kind of gave gave it away, and then we're allowed well, to. You know, just feel into it. Well, the, in, well in a way, but, but, but I think more accurately, it was just a matter of being in that moment completely as an actor um, without the distractions of the craft itself. You, you, know, uh, you know, you didn't have time to think about the craft. 
you had to be the craft, you know, in that moment, you know. So anyway, I got used to that. I got I got used to immediately snapping into, you know, whatever, whatever the appropriate uh, character is. You know? So talking about even just the Irishman and being knowing that you were going to be on the set, you know, of a movie that's going to kind of shift the entire year in movies, right? Does finishing a scene then leave you with a different emotion or, or even like a reaction more than a concert does? Because you're so into that character. And then do you do you take some of that emotion with you? Or are you completely, you know, can you switch that off? And, you know, what I'm kind of curious about is how much of it you learn, you take for yourself. You know, some people like mm. to embody these characters that they play. They like to take, mm. f you know, fear, courage, rage, <laughs> compassion from characters. Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, it's a big question, actually. And I had to... You know, my wife is actually a real actor. You know, I, you know, I, 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 she, she, you know, went to school, and 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 so you know, we would we would discuss her acting class every day when she came back from acting class, and you know, talk about all the different theories and and all that. Um, and you know, some I agreed with, some I didn't. Uh, but um, I decided I needed to create my own. How can I say it? You know, acting methodology. Right. If I was going to jump into this acting thing. So I just thought about it, you know, I tried to analyze it in my own way. And I decided, you know, every single characteristic of humankind, I think, exists in all of us. And I think the craft of acting is digging inside and finding the appropriate personality and characteristics for whoever the character is that you're about to play. You know, that's how I, I, I look at it. And I think, you know, you, you then find that character and, 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 you know, wake it up, you know, bring it to life and then embody it. And, and then, you know, you, you do let it go back to sleep. But I think what to, to your point, I think once having awakened that particular personality or characteristic, I think it does stay with you. I think it does stay with you, you know, to some extent. Um, you know, probably lessens, you know, as, as time goes on, it probably, you know, probably uh, less lessens uh, right. in, in, in its in its impact. But but I do think I do think there is something to that, that, that you know, once having completely in, inhabited that that character, you know, I, th I think you do um, to some extent uh, pick up some a few of those characteristics and, and sort of keep them uh whether you like it or not you know whether you're conscious of it or not exactly. i think that's true because you know you can't you can't just completely divorce yourself from it you know i, I don't think that's possible i really don't i think you know once you once you are have played a character i think that character will always be with you and uh to some extent and and uh yeah uh, i don't know how you know the great actors who play uh, murderers or, uh, yeah. you, know, uh, Nazi, you know, Nazis, you know, not Nazis or, or, you know, God forbid, child molesters or whatever, you know, um, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm not. I, How do I, they get I, rid I, of I, that? I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know no, what it's, I mean? like, I mean, it's a testament. That... It's a testament to that. Pause the podcast. Pause the podcast. Are you looking at a calendar full of great events but struggling to find tickets? StubHub's got gotcha. you. 
Whatever your favorite band, team, or venue, StubHub is here to save the day with the best tickets for any budget. Whether you're looking for a seat at a Broadway show, tickets to the summer's big arena tour, or a night of cheering on your hometown team, StubHub has the seats you're looking for at the price you want to pay. Head to cosradio.lv StubHub or their user-friendly app to find tickets that are 100% guaranteed by FanProtect. StubHub's never sold out with the most shows, the most tickets, and the most fans. So head on over to cosradio.lv StubHub or the StubHub app. The best tickets to the best experiences in music, sports, and theater. That's cosradio.lv StubHub. You know, and even talking about performance, when you're going on stage, you know, so you, you get into the character for film and for TV, but when you're going on stage, do you have any sort of preparation or ritual as such? I don't love, love the word ritual, but I think I'm curious for you. Do you have a certain ritual that you go through before you reach the stage? Like something that you do yeah, I, yeah. with your wife, your band, or, you know, something that you say? <laughs> no. No, I, I really don't. But 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 I do I do find um, I do find it helpful uh, to create the character from the outside in, uh, which is how I did uh, Silvio, uh, how I did Frank and Lilyhammer, and and, and and it's how I do Little Steven as well, really on stage. I mean, um, you know, you have certain clothes that are designed. For that character, and I think that I find that very, very helpful. Honestly, I've always had uh, the advantage as an actor. It's always been an advantage that uh, that I wear a bandana all the time in my real life. So, so you know, any any hair that I have is actually quite a different looking character, and and, and I can look in the mirror and and see someone different. You know, right? Get into so that I, I need to, I need right. to yeah, I need to look in the mirror and see who I'm going to be, you know? So I have that, I have that, you know, it's not exactly a ritual, but, but it is a, it is a bit of a, uh, you know, a, a bit of a, a methodology. In Absolutely. Terms of, you know, you know what yes. I mean? Like I just, you know, I, I've always, I, I have great, great respect and, and uh, for, for any actor who can, who can act in a movie looking exactly like themselves. I mean, I find that to be extremely, uh, you know, complicated and, and, uh, and, and, you know, I, I really, I really do envy that sort of talent. But for me, I need to look like somebody else, you know, to be, to be somebody else because I know myself so well, you know what I mean? I, <laughs> I, I, I've been, I've, I've been, been I've been with myself <laughs> for way too long, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I really, uh, I really, you know, I'm quite, quite bored with myself. So I, I need to, to take be, on the role. I no, I be. get it. You get to channel these characters, but it, and also you talking about channeling characters and doing multiple things at once, and then also having concept albums. The box set also features a lot of material from the artist United Against Apartheid project, and that mm. was such an important, mm. groundbreaking effort as somebody from 
I'm from South Africa, as I'm sure you can hear my voice and my accent. Ah, um, I thought it was familiar. Yeah. <laughs> but what was it like to be in the studio with that incredibly diverse group of people all brought together on such an important and crucial topic? Maybe something that people weren't really, you know, I suppose it's people weren't were afraid to stand up against certain things that they didn't understand but you yes you no it was um, it, yeah it, it was a little bit you know it was a bigger issue in europe but but in america it wasn't like it was a it was a lost issue it was it, it was it didn't exist you know it just it's just you know there was no discussion about it really whatsoever pretty much so yeah i had to um you know do a bit of education in terms of telling people about what was going on and then uh, and then the response was amazing um i was very very political in those days so so you know i i made two trips to south africa and nobody else had ever been there you, you know uh, and so you know i was interviewing everybody down there and trying to get to the roots of what was going on you know i went down there with quite an open mind actually because i had heard that there was going to be all this reforming you know they were the government was was going through all these wonderful you know changes and improving things down there and uh and that was all of course propaganda because when i got down there i realized uh there's no way to fix apartheid it had to you know it had to be destroyed Destroyed. so absolutely. so um i discovered a part of my brain i didn't know existed which was a very very logical part uh, a very uh um you know because I, I spend most of my life in chaos and and I think that's why one becomes an artist. You know, you're trying to create order out of chaos all the time. Um, but then there's this whole other, this you know, I discovered this whole other part of my mind, which was, which was, was quite reasonable and quite logical. And so I sat down. I said, okay, how do we how do we bring this government down? You know. And uh, I realized that the sports boycott had been quite successful. And the and the home run was going to be the economic boycott. You know that that was the way to really bring it down. And in between, of course, was the cultural boycott. So I said, well, let's 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 use the cultural boycott as the bridge from the sports boycott to the economic boycott, and we'll use it a way as a way to publicize the entire situation down there. And eventually, um, that's what happened. We we basically educated our own congressmen and senators here and uh, established the uh, the anti-apartheid legislation and uh, of course Reagan Ronald Reagan vetoed it you know because uh, he was part of the evil trinity that was keeping apartheid alive exactly. him and Thatcher in England and Cole in Germany and um, for the first time uh, a Ronald Reagan veto was was uh, uh, over overturned and we got the legislation through, and suddenly the banks cut them off. And wow. the next thing you know, they're letting Mandela out of jail. <laughs> so yeah. we we were, you know, completely successful. You know, you know, if you're engaged in politics, you know, international liberation politics, you don't get very very many clear victories. You know right. what I mean? You, you, you get a little victory here, a little victory there. You know, it's sort of, uh, you know, two steps forward and then you kick 
taking one step back. You know, what I mean, it's a constant, frustrating sort of way to. But you keep to deal pushing. With the world, you, know? you know, I feel like. But, but you, no, but no, yeah, but no, but that was, but that, but that was no, but that was a rare, rare, complete victory. You know, you know, that was one of those that you just look back on and say, "Wow, Can't we can never do that now." No, and also speaking of another topic, you also organized you uh, teach rock, which shares free lesson plans and materials to teachers and students. You know, that's also something that a lot of artists, you know, either have been affected by and uh, you know people just watching what you're doing i think that that's an amazing feat that you that you've organized that yeah that's actually we just went public with that actually you know we worked on it for 15 years but um just this past year went public with it and i'm I'm proud to say we we already have about 29,000 teachers registered using it so it's a good start a very good start because they they're seeing you know they they probably see 100 kids a year each, you know, and, and so, you know, there's close to 3 million kids are already being exposed to it. And, uh, you know, that, that was a very, very simply a, 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 a three-part mission. First of all, to keep the arts in the DNA of the education system, you know, which I feel very strongly about. I think the arts helps all the other disciplines. Um, secondly, create a new methodology for this generation because the bureaucracy uh, is just way too slow uh, in dealing with this new generation who are smarter than us and faster than us and have no patience whatsoever, you know? So how, how, how do teachers get their attention? You know, well, we figured it out, you know, that we, we use music. And, and the third part of the mission really was, was to try and keep kids in school. We have a dropout epidemic in our, in our, in our country. It's really, quite shameful um close to 50 percent of the kids in the poor neighborhoods are dropping out of high school and 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 close to 50 percent of those kids who drop out end up in prison you know i mean it's 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 ridiculous Uh, and uh so you know we direct our entire curriculum really towards that kid that normally would be dropping out but what we want we want to give them a reason to stay in school and give them a bit of a comfort zone uh, that they can, you know, feel comfortable with the process of education itself. You know, the, the, the very concept of education, you know, is something that, you know, these kids don't get because they can look at their device and give you an answer for whatever question you're asking them in 30 seconds. Right. They you have know, the different you access know. as opposed to when we were in school, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't you can't tell them what they told us, which is learn this now and someday you'll use it. Yeah. You know, uh, you know. They're like, what? What are you That's talking about? Point. You know. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. You're like, someday, uh, bro, I can do it in two seconds. Yeah. Yeah, you know. So, so you know, they're they're like, you know, we don't really have any idea what you're talking yeah. about. You know. So, so, so you know, you have to adjust. You can't keep trying to drag them to you. You have to go to them. Exactly, well, you know, and, and that's what we do. Them. You know, we go to them and we say, you know, who, who's your favorite artist? And they all have one. And then we say, okay, great, let's 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 trace them back. Let's trace where they come from. You know, and you're able to take them. You know, they tell you Beyonce or they tell you whatever Ariana Grande, whatever it is, and you say, okay, they come from they come from Aretha Franklin, and and Aretha Franklin is is is, is from the gospel church. And we talk about the gospel church. We talk about, she's from Detroit. We talk about Detroit. We say she got involved in the civil rights movement. We talk about the civil rights movement. And they stay interested. Why? Because it's, it's a, a subject they're comfortable with. 
Absolutely. You know. And tracing so the history, simple. it's a great way to almost put not only history on the table, but also learning compassion towards one another as well to see how artists came into what, you yes. know, you're also teaching politics then. There's so many, yes. I mean, music as, again, why you do what you do, music is, is, is the thing that binds us. It is absolutely a language. Yes, absolutely right. Absolutely is there right. a you teacher know, so. for you that inspired you either in your music career or in launching this project? <laughs> is there somebody that inspired you? Well, we had, you know, it was, it was such a different world back then. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, there was a few. There was a few, you know, I remember uh, the, uh, we had a music teacher that was a little bit wild, you know. Uh, <laughs> she, she, she let me play, uh, I remember she let me play The Who's first album. Uh, for 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 the class, you know, which oh, was wow. <laughs> quite a wild a wild thing to do, you know. <laughs> well, the, the, wow, the first it was that your idea, or was that his? No, 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 it was mine. I brought it in because it was you know the brand new album, and I said, you know, I'm very excited about this group called the Who, and she said, well, let's play it for the class, you know. <laughs> so that was the, my did. generation. That was what sixty five. Sixty five. Wow. Yep, yep, yep. The My Generation album, which is still, <laughs> by the way, still my favorite Who album. But, what is it? <laughs> but, but, uh, uh, yeah, I, I kind of yeah, understand yeah. why now. Okay. Yeah, but it was, you know, and I, and I also had a, I remember a librarian actually in the school. You know, I don't, I don't know if they still have librarians, mind you. Um, but in those days, every school had a library and a librarian, and she was quite uh, progressive. Uh, she says, um, I heard you're into Bob Dylan. I said, yeah, I am into Bob Dylan. And she says, well, do you want to know where Bob Dylan comes from? Yeah. I said, yeah, you know. So she turned me on to Allen Ginsberg, uh... the poet, and, and, and all the beat poets. And uh, yeah. And so I learned about beat poetry. I learned about Buddhism. He was the first Buddhist I ever heard of, you know, Allen Ginsberg, you know. Um, you know, he's also the first gay guy I'd ever heard of, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I was learning about, like, you know... A whole new world. Gay, yeah, gay Buddhist beat poet, you know, it's like quite an education in itself, you know, that Absolutely. one guy. And, and, I, and, I could, and I could make the connection between Bob Dylan's lyrics and, and, and some of uh, Ginsburg's, uh, you know, symbols and metaphors and you know so you know so those those two teachers uh stand out but you know mostly i just didn't want to be there to be honest i was a terrible student terrible you know i just wanted to get to band rehearsal after school man that was all that mattered to me you know look at what you're doing you're doing something that's it's not only a good cause but it's something that you if you were presented with it now say if you were a student now it is exactly something mm. that you would have benefited from. So oh, yeah. you created something. Definitely. And that's really smart and and you know, yeah, no, no, for sure. Empathy. For sure. That, yeah. No, that's and, and that's and that's what we're doing. We're giving them tools, you know, we we're licensing the music, we're licensing the videos for them, the teachers, you know, and it's all free. They go to teachrock.org and they get uh, over hundred and fifty lessons for free. And and we keep doing the new lessons every week or two. So, uh, you know, so, so yeah, I mean, I wish, I wish I had that, uh, back then, but, uh, Absolutely. you know, that's, that's my way of giving, of, of sort of, uh, passing it on because, um, unless you're listening to my, my radio network, you're really not going to hear rock and roll anymore. That's not, you know, it's the only place that it, it exists really in little Stevens underground garage, uh, which, you know, I'm in a hundred affiliates in a hundred countries, but still. Not everywhere, and um, it's hard. It's hard to find 
the what I call the Renaissance period of uh, the 50s and 60s. Uh, you know, there's, there's no you know immediate access to it. So I wanted to uh, make sure that uh, that began to get into schools at a very early age, you know, and I'm uh, hoping they start teaching this curriculum in kindergarten, you know. Yes, uh, absolutely. You know, just to inspire future generations the same way we were inspired, you know what I mean? Absolutely. I, I honestly think that that music will, will last forever. I really do. And you've been yeah. part of the mold. You've been part of, of history now as well. So, you know, you'll you'll also essentially last forever. All your millions yeah. of, of uh, personalities. <laughs> All the things that you do. So going forward, just to wrap up, what are the things that you have not done yet that you are dying to do? What are the projects that you want to get involved oh my in goodness. get your hands yeah, in? Yeah, it is far more than I'll ever get a chance to do, I can <laughs> tell you that. I mean, I have, uh, I have 25 different TV treatments. I have five completed scripts. Um, you know, I, I love... What I'd like to do actually most in the world, I never do, which is producing live events. You know, um, the the Broadway show that I wrote and, 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 and co-directed and co-produced um, uh, with my wife, Maureen, uh, years ago. You know, the Broadway show is probably my best work I've ever done. Um, you know, and, 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 I, and, I, and I enjoy just creating the, the live show that we just did. You know, the Summer of Sorcery show, I think, was my best show ever in history and uh you know i, I just i love i love uh, doing that you know i wish i you know in, in another life you know I, I would have loved to have been producing you know the grammys or the rock and roll uh you know the, the rock and roll hall of fame you know induction ceremony or, or one of those uh you know events you know i, I really do i love i love that um, so, you know, I, I may get a chance to do a bit of that here and there. Be the careful future. what you wish for. You're putting it out there. Somebody listening is going <laughs> to go up. Right? I think you should do this. So be well, careful no, what I you wish to. for. <laughs> yeah, true, can, true, true. I can see you. Oh, why am I making, I'm making work, making work for myself? <laughs> yeah, am exactly. I crazy? What are you doing? <laughs> This Must Be The Gig is produced by Adam Kibble. We'd like to thank Dean Berger and Daniel Brater for additional music, as well as the Consequence Podcast Network. Hey! If you've listened this far, why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. Your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too. For information on new episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at TMBTGPod. And generally, just irritate everyone you know about the show. Thanks again, and I miss you already. During the holiday season, everyone's trying to get you to buy more stuff. Instead, head to StubHub so you can celebrate the season at a game or show. Take the whole family to the ballet, bang on the glass at a hockey game, or sing along with your favorite artist at a concert. Hey, we definitely count that as caroling. StubHub has the best selection of seats for all the holiday events you want to experience with your loved ones. And every ticket is 100% guaranteed. Get to StubHub.com or their user-friendly app today. StubHub. S-T-U-B-H-U-B. Be there. 
Consequence Podcast Network.